Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. morning everybody it's been fun to hear you sing this morning for those of you who are here so so thanks for joining us in that and those of you on home thanks for singing thanks for joining us in that uh, we are again this morning in the series on the kingdom i invite you to turn in your bibles to matthew chapter 13 uh, we are going to be looking at the first of several parables that occur in Matthew chapter 13 that talk about the kingdom. And so we'll, we'll be diving into that this week. And then next week, we're going to finish out Matthew 13 to explain kind of the rest of the parables. But Matthew 13, um, how, many of you have, uh, how many of you have ever traveled to a place that is warm? All right, a few of you have done this. Okay, how many of you have ever traveled to a place that is warm when it's cold up here? All right. Some of you are wishing you were there now. Um, years ago, it's 14 years ago, almost to the month, uh, my wife and I were able to travel to the Philippines. And we, we were able to go with a group from this church. Uh, some, some dear friends of ours took us under their wing and made sure that we got where we needed to go safely and everything. Uh, but we went to the tropics. Now, one of the things I love about the tropics, whether it be Florida, whether it be um, Asia or, or, or any place like that, um, Africa, you get great fruit. How many of you like fruit? Oh, I heard some like, mm, okay, this is good. Uh, uh, fruit. So when you travel, like years ago, we traveled in uh, the Philippines, 14 years ago, and we experienced like, like the dole plantations are there. Uh, and so like pineapples galore, you, you get all sorts of different types of fruit there as well. Uh, how many of you know this fruit? We've got one. Anybody, raise your hand if you're here and you know this fruit. Okay, we've got two, three. Okay. So this is an interesting fruit. A couple of you know what this fruit is. This is an interesting fruit that you find over in Asia. Uh, it's a fruit called durian. All right? It's a fruit called durian. Now, when I was a kid, my grandma, my first introduction to this fruit um, was from my grandma. We went to this Asian store or something like that, and she picked up one of these. Uh, it had come over frozen, uh, but, but she got this fruit. And, and this fruit, you know, it's got this prickly outside, and it's got this soft, creamy um, texture inside. This is actually known as the king of fruits. Okay, this is known as the king of fruits over in Asia. And my grandma remem remembered this fondly from their time that they spent in the Philippines. Inside, it's light colored and it's creamy. There's this prickly shell. It's about the size of a cantaloupe. It can be pretty decent size. And studies suggest that it's really, really healthy. Now, if I were to begin to describe what this is and to kind of give you a picture, I might use words like that. I might show you a picture like that. But now you really don't know what it tastes like. So let me give you some great descriptions of what it tastes like. All right, here's, here's one. It, it, it kind of tastes like caramel. You get that in your, like, are you salivating yet? Okay, good. Um, it also, it, it tastes like caramel, but it also has like notes of cheese with it. Some of you are thinking twice now. Um, there's also like notes of almond and garlic. And now you're really confused, right? Um, it has a very strong smell. Um, uh, it has a strong smell. It, it, it's, it's sweet, kind of like fruit. 
It's got some overtones of like honey to it. It also has um, notes, you, you know, if you're into, I, I'm really into coffee, and on the bags of coffee that you buy, it's like, it smells like a peach plum or whatever, you know, like they come out with all these crazy things. This one, you smell like this, according to one website, it's got this fruit, this honey, it also has these overtones of sulfur. <laughs> Not joking. Uh, I can give you the website. Uh, sewage has another overtone to this. And roasted and rotting onions. How many of you want some durian now? <laughs> All right, we got one. Um, so the amazing thing about this fruit is when you travel in the Philippines, they do not allow you to bring this fruit, this fruit onto the plane because it smells so badly. Like, it's awful. I remember as a kid, my grandma was like, here, you want to try this? And it was like half frozen. So like the smell's not quite there yet when it's half frozen. And I took a bite. I was like, no, no, thank you. (laughs) So when we were in the Philippines 14 years ago, I saw durian and someone said, do you want to try it? I said, no, thank you. I'll try the banana instead. I've tried to give you an idea of what this fruit is like. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 begins to use a a technique of teaching called parables. And and parables are illustrations or they're pictures of something that is needing to be conveyed. Now, Jesus is not not the only rabbi of this time to use parables to describe things. But he goes on to use parables to describe things like the kingdom, like forgiveness, like this, and like this, and like this. And and he uses these pictures, much like you don't know what this is until I start giving you some descriptions. And I might tell you a story about how I once experienced it and then decided I never wanted it again. Um, We're going to study some parables today. And I want you to understand and get these pictures as we jump into the text. Before we read our passage for this morning, though, I want you to imagine that you are in first century Judea. And here's the kind of fishing boats that you find on um, the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is basically a lake, okay? We hear the word sea, and we think, like, this huge thing. Our big lake, Michigan, like, dwarfs the Sea of Galilee. You can look, on a a good day, you can look on one side, the east side, you can look all the way over to the west. Uh, You can look north to the south a good ways. But imagine Jesus on a fishing boat about this size, and we have scholarly evidence that shows that this is about the size of a boat that would appear on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and he's in a place, scholars think it's, it's traditionally at least um, attributed to the cove of the sower. All right, we're going to study the parable of the sower is what it's typically called. And so you can kind of see here, this is on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's this little cove that's rounded out. And you can see that there's a road that runs along to, to your left right there. And Jesus is likely somewhere out in this little bit of water. And he's getting ready to, to, to speak and to preach. And you can see just to the, um, up, it's technically east of where the cove is, um, you can see where Capernaum is. And so there's some big cities and towns where Jesus did a lot of his ministry right nearby. So Jesus is gathered there. If you were to take a picture from the cove of the sower, here's what it would look like. So imagine Jesus, maybe not this far out, but he's, he's out in a boat 
and he's speaking to the crowds gathered on the hillside. Um, studies have been done in this particular area, and the reason why they think it's here where Jesus is teaching is because studies have been done that suggest that about five to 7,000 people could fit on this hillside, and you could hear the speaker from where he was. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, if you've traveled someplace, like, like if you go uh, here to, like, to the Colosseum, or if you go to uh, other places within, especially um, the Middle East, they have all these old Roman architecture type things where someone's doing a play, they have this in Italy as well, where, 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 you are, where you're speaking down on the stage, and they've, they've designed it in such a way where it can be heard, and I'm all the way here, and like we're using technology today, and our technology today is being a little weird, so... You know, sorry for that if we have some issues. Um, but, but so I'd be up here and you have the benefit of hearing me through a mic. They had the benefit of hearing them through God's amplification of everything around them. So Jesus is standing here and the crowds are gathered around here. Even though this crowd gathered here is, it, you can't really see who's on the boat out there. If the person on the boat starts speaking, the people on the, on, on, in the crowd on the slopes here, they can hear what he's saying. Just think about that. Using God's amplification at the cove of the sower. And so this is the vantage point I want you to imagine that you're in as you hear these words from Jesus. Would you stand with me? On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky ground where there wasn't much soil, and they sprang up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. Still others, they fell on good ground and produced a crop, some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know. But it has not been given to them, for whoever has, more will be given to him, and, who, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, yet never understand. And you will look and look, yet never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would cure them. But your eyes are blessed because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. For I assure you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see yet didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, yet didn't hear them. You then, listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. 
This is the one sown along the path, and the one sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet yet he has no root in himself, but is short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does bear fruit and yields, some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. These are the words of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our King, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to set upon the truth of your word, that hearing we might hear, seeing we might see, and understanding we might live to your honor and glory. Father, guide us in this time together by the power of your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Together we say, amen. Please be seated. So, you have this photo and you're gathered on the shores to hear Jesus teach. And just, you know, just for, by way of context, if we were to go back a couple chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus has gone around and he's been healing and he's been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, and, and explaining about the kingdom. And one of the things that you find is that the crowds that gather oftentimes, it, as Matthew chapter 9 um, describes it, they're weary and they're worn out. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And it's in Matthew chapter 11 that we looked at a couple weeks ago where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my teaching upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. He's calling people to be a disciple. Like what Mark talked about last week, he's he's calling people to follow and not just go halfway, but to go all in. To literally, proverbially, get in the boat. I don't have a boat up here this weekend. Though I heard many of you liked Mark's boat last week. So you can maybe haggle a deal afterwards if he's interested in selling. Um, but, but, but so um, Jesus is calling people to go all in. To be his disciple. Which means we want to be like our rabbi. We don't want to just know what he knows. We want to be as he is. And so disciples would follow their rabbi in a whole host of different settings. Jesus would say, come let us go. And they're like, I don't know, where are we going? 20 miles later, they get to a place where Jesus wants to teach them something. They're along for the ride because they want to learn what does it mean for Jesus to follow? What does it mean for Jesus to, to, to love his father with such great affection and commitment Such that, as we find out towards the end of Jesus' life, he says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. As he's getting ready to go to the cross. But he says, Father, nevertheless, not what I will. God, I want your will. Father, I want your will to be done in my life. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do and to be. To be people whose lives are marked by the will of God. So Jesus is speaking, though. And and as he's speaking, just like with any gathering... Um, there's a whole host of people there. 
And so Jesus is saying, repent, follow me. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God, I've been working on just like a really simple definition of this um, that's easy to hopefully remember. And here's where I've landed thus far. Um, The kingdom of God is this. It's, It's the active rule of God in a person who repents of their sin and trusts Jesus. All right? Uh, Let's break this down, and I'll have you repeat it after me. The kingdom of God is the active rule of God, the active rule of God in a person, in a person who repents of their sin, who repents of their sin and trusts Jesus, and trusts Jesus, okay? One more time. Uh, Repeat after me. The kingdom of God, you don't have to repeat that part, but is the active rule of God, is the active rule of God in a person who repents, in a person who repents of their sin and trusts Jesus, and trusts Jesus. Good. So one of the things that we find in Jesus' teachings of the parables in Matthew is that Jesus is going to use a whole bunch of different pictures to help people understand what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is. Uh, he'll liken it in Matthew chapter 13 alone, he'll liken it to, to very uh, several things. Now, with parables, um, parables function differently. Sometimes you have parables where you have successive parables, like in Luke 15, where you have the, um, the lost coin, you have the lost sheep. It goes lost sheep, lost coin, and then the story of the prodigal son is what's typically called. Uh, we were studying this in our community group the, the, the other day. We have to do a teaching on this sometime because it's, it's so great. It's really the story of the compassionate father with two lost sons. I, 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 it's just an incredible story. But what Jesus is doing in that scenario is he's giving three pictures of forgiveness and unconditional love of the Father. Uh, The ideas of repentance come through as well there too, but he uses three parables to hone in on one theme. That's one way sometimes parables are taught. Um, another way parables are taught is they're taught in order to build on something. And that's, that's what it's going to be here. Um, we're going to have several parables that we're going to look at over this week and next week. Um, but they're each going to build on each other. And what we can do sometimes with parables that gets us into trouble is we begin to, we begin to assign meaning to a bunch of things. And the meaning is not given by the person telling the story. So we we can actually um, add extra meaning to parables and make them sometimes say anything we want them to. So we have to be careful when we approach parables. In fact, um, you know, parables exist essentially to make truth concrete. They're there to give a picture to something that can be a little abstract, kind of like forgiveness or the kingdom, repentance or salvation. Um, Parables also give an opportunity to take a truth and to allow the hearer to apply it to themselves. Interestingly, in the parable of the the lost son, the prodigal son, or or the compassionate father, um, you have two boys in that, and one of the boys kind of has a closure to his story, and the other son doesn't have a closure. And so there's a little bit of, "Mm, let that sit with you, crowd, and see how uh, where your life is at, and give pause to consider what should I do as a result of this. All right, parables aren't just there for information. They're designed to give an opportunity for people to apply truth to themselves. Um, Parables also generally, they have one general point. Now, they might have a couple of different storylines and some nuance to them, but they generally have one point. Uh, And that kind of helps us keep from creating a whole bunch of allegorical meanings um, 
where, where you can find uh, these hidden type meetings that some people do and, and, and assigning just crazy things to parables that they're not intended to teach. And so parables are stories, all right? They're stories. They're used to convey um, these concepts and, and they're put in vivid terms. Jesus uses them to instruct and to teach people about something. In this case, we're going to talk about soil, okay? We're going to talk about soil or dirt, if you will, but soil is alliterative. Um, so um, that is a, what we're looking at today. Now, Matthew 13, Jesus begins by addressing the crowds whom he taught in parables. And before we jump into the parable itself, I want to give you the middle part. Between verses 10 and verse 17, so between verses 10 and 17, there's this description given on why Jesus teaches in parables. And this occurs in every one of the Gospels. And here it's in Matthew chapter 13. But the reasons Jesus gives is that he begins to describe the hearers. He, he says in, um, in verse 10, the disciples ask him, hey, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answers in verse 11, because the secrets of the kingdom have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. Now, when you have a crowd and a bunch of people gathered, there are people there who, there are, people there who are there for different reasons. Um, Here's how I like to describe it. Um, when I was in middle school and high school, we had this um, event in Dayton, Ohio, nearby where we're from, called the Celtic Festival. Now, the Celtic Festival happened every summer, and they brought in some of the best Irish bands uh, in, in really the, the U.S., if not um, globally, for this. It was a really fun thing. And best of all, it was free. <laughs> you know, so as a, as a high schooler going into college, I'm like, hey, great music free experience. Uh, so we would go oftentimes down there for one or two of the shows every year. And one of our favorite bands, a band by the name of Gaelic Storm, one of our favorite Irish bands, would play there every year. You might know them. They're one of the bands in the movie Titanic, if you saw that years and years and years ago. Um, so we went down one time to go hear Gaelic Storm play a set uh, on like a Wednesday night down at the Celtic Festival. And so we gathered for that fun show. We're enjoying it. We're like 10 feet away from the stage. Great music, great time. All right. Then after they came up, um, so, you know, some of the crowd began to move about because there was another band coming up. I think it was the band Seven Nations, which is this um, Irish rock band. So you go from like this folk, poppy, um, traditional Irish band to a very in-your-face electric rock band, but they didn't have an electric guitar. Instead, they had a bagpipe that was the electric kind of guitar thing. And I don't know if you know anything about bagpipes, but my goodness, they're loud, and they just hurt your ears. Um, and if you play bagpipe, I still love bagpipe. It's just, whew, you got to be careful there how loud you play. So we are gathered in front of the stage. We've just you know, been all into a show, a concert that had happened. And then the Seven Nations band comes up, and it took us about five minutes to decide, mm, we're not staying for this. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't our thing. We, we were there, and we were hearing it. But we didn't really have ears to hear it. We didn't really want to listen to it. And actually, it was beginning to hurt our ears because bagpipes are really loud, especially when they're amplified. So Don and I, uh, we were there together. We just decided to go for a walk down the boardwalk. We get about a mile away. We could still hear it perfectly. But we were well far removed away. When Jesus is teaching these parables, he's got different people around him. He has some people who are there to really hear his teaching. He has other people who are there to hear his teaching, but they're there to hear, not to hear. Does that make sense? 
All right, notice what it says when he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. In verse 14, Jesus, Jesus has said, uh, he speaks to them in parables because of looking they don't see. And he quotes Isaiah and he says, you will listen. And the word here for listen also means to obey. All right, it's the word shema. Uh, you will listen and listen. In other words, you will listen and listen, but you're not going to understand or it's not going to be clear. You're not going to um, be able to distinguish it. Why? Because you're listening with your ears, but you're not listening with your heart is what's happening in Isaiah's context. And he says, you will look and look, but you will never perceive or know. And the idea of the word know here comes from a word that means to know intimately. And what Isaiah's commission is, is God has said, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the people of Judah because they're turning away from me. And I want you to go preach and tell them, here's what the Lord wants you to do. And Isaiah goes and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches and it's as if his words fall on deaf ears. And the reason they fall on deaf ears, we find in verse 15, for this people's hearts have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn back. And I would cure them is what God is telling him. And he says in verse 16, but your eyes are blessed because they do see and your ears do hear. In other words, Jesus is going to explain these parables to people who really want to hear. They really want to hear. They don't want to just hear. They actually want to do what Jesus is teaching. That's where this extra ex explanations and teaching comes because there's different hearers present. So disciples come up to him, and, and Jesus begins to teach them a little bit more in depth. Let me tell you about the parable of the sower, he says to them. Um, what's in view with this parable is simply this. It's discipleship. It's what it means to follow Jesus. And discipleship involves not just a, com a confession of Jesus as Lord, but a commitment to walk after him. A commitment to say, okay, Jesus, I'm not going to just hear you. I'm going to actually do what you say. You know, if, if you've been a parent or if you've been a kid, you may have asked your kid or you may have been asked uh, at various points in your life, hey, would you do this? And then nothing happens, right? Sometimes this happens, maybe, maybe in your lives. And then um, nothing happens. And then you say, hey, could you do that again? Hey, could, could, could you do that again? Maybe this happens for you at work. Uh, and then finally, maybe something clicks, or maybe you have to say, no, I, I mean, like, take up the trash and actually, like, take it out. Like, not just here, 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 do. And that's what Jesus is talking about with the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower. You could call it the parable of the hearers, because that's the focus of this parable. So the parable goes by pretty quickly. Um, you have three main components in this parable. You have the sower, you have the seed, and you have the soil, okay? Because alliteration is good sometimes for remembering. We have the sower, the seed, and the soil. They all begin with S. Yeah, fantastic, right? Um, the sower, the seed, and the soil. Now, the sower's job and the sower's role is that the sower is the person who is sharing the message of the kingdom. It starts in verse uh, 1 on that day, or sorry, I'm thinking verse 3, where it says, consider the sower who went out to sow, okay? This is a picture that everybody at this time understood, all right? They, they understood it because they lived in an agricultural context. 
part of how they lived day by day was during certain seasons of the year, they would go out and they would sow. They would put seeds down into the ground. And there's a couple different ways you could sow. Um, sometimes they would do more of a, a, a technique like this. They might do a little more of a scatter technique. Depending on where they're sowing, they might use an animal like a donkey, put a, a seed bag on the back and cut a little hole in the bottom and it could fall into the proper places. Depends on where you are, uh, where you are trying to farm. Um, in the ancient period, you have um, some places that have big, like o- more open fields, more like what we might consider uh, of like a field. Um, places like Hudsonville, you know, r- around here that are like incredibly rich black earth and you have these big wide fields. You generally don't get fields that big except for only in certain areas of Israel because there's a lot of rocks. And, and so there's a lot of prep work that has to be done. There's a lot of hills, and so you have to work with that. Um, there are certain places where they would use a technique called the terraced gardening. And, and it's where you, you might have a hill, but into the hill you would kind of build in a garden. You know, so, so as you have your hill here, you, you might put something up here and you then get some dirt and put it in here and you'd have different types of gardens going up this hill because you want to use what you have. And so sometimes you have to create your flower beds and your, not that they're necessarily growing flowers, but you'd have to create your, your, your garden areas for growing seed. But so a sower goes out to seed. Now the seed here we find out from verse 19 is the message of the kingdom. All right, this is the word of God. This is the gospel. This is what it means to actively have God rule your life by repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus. And so they they would plant this seed. And Jesus says, um, there's a sower, there's seed. And then he describes how the seed responds in four different environments. The reason why I think it's better entitled Parable of the Hearers or the Parable of the Soils is because what changes in this particular parable is the soil, all right? It's not the sower, that's consistent. The seed, that's consistent. They are what they are. But what changes is how is the hearing of the word understood and lived out? in four different contexts. And so Jesus is teaching this, and he understands, I think, that everyone who has gathered around him finds themselves in one of these four places. And he describes these places like this. Verse 19. Um, When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And so one of the areas that you would have, and you can kind of see it in this picture, you have certain areas where, where he's sowing, and then you'd have paths that you would walk on to get to the other side of your field. Uh, if you look kind of at the top of the picture, you can begin to see it kind of ridging up. And so they may have had some terrace gardening back on the hillside there as well. And so you would have paths that would go through here. And Jesus is saying, look, sometimes the soil, the message of the kingdom falls upon the path. And if you walk on a path, Path, it means it's going to be hard, it's going to be dusty, it's not going to receive that soil well. If water hits it, it's just going to kind of run down it, and it's really not going to absorb the seed, nor is it going to absorb the water. And so he says, the, the one who is sown along the path, it's the one who hears but doesn't understand it. It doesn't penetrate at all their heart. 
And the evil one comes to, to snatch away what is sown in the person's heart. Also, what would happen is that birds would come and they'd find the seed and, and they would take it away because the soil is not even close to being able to be used to yield a harvest from the seed. So what's going on here? I think this is what Jesus describes when he quotes Isaiah. Um, sometimes the word of God lands upon a person's heart, a person's ears hear it, but it doesn't really register with them because their hearts are so hardened to the things of God. They're just so, like, they don't even know how to approach it. They don't, they don't know how to take it in. It's just, it's, it's like talking two different languages. It's like if I were to talk to you in French, and you didn't know French, and I don't know French either, so it'd be a great experience. Um, if I were to talk to you in French, you'd be like, okay, I'm just going to kind of move on with my life. It's like they hear, but they, they don't hear. There's no understanding. There's a complete hardenedness to their heart. And, and we find this passage, the, the, what Jesus quotes from Isaiah, happens several times in the New Testament. I think it's five times that this passage is quoted. One of the places it's quoted is in Acts 28. You don't need to turn there, but you can look there later if you want. In Acts 28, it's the end of the book of Acts. And Paul is preaching to the Jewish people in Rome, and he's trying to persuade them who Jesus was, using, the Mo using Moses, which is their authority, and using the prophets. But they reject the message that Paul is sharing with them. And Paul describes them the way Jesus describes the people who are hearing him today. You know, that there are people who hear, but they don't hear. And he said, because you have hardened your heart to the things of God, I'm going to go preach the good news to the Gentiles. So you have that first layer. You have the path. The, the people whose, whose hearts are dull and they're hard and they can't respond because it's just a foreign language to them. Um, you have a second layer. You have the rocky ground layer of dirt with bedrock underneath. We find this on uh, verse 20. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but is short-lived. When the pressure or persecution comes, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so we have the second one. And what's being described here, there's rocks all over Israel. All right? it's, a, it's a very rocky um, geographical region. And um, what he's talking about is you'd have a layer of bedrock, and you might have just a couple inches of dirt on top. And so it's, it's dirt that when a seed falls on it, there's enough there for it to sprout. There's enough there for it to receive the, 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 the warmth and the, and the moisture that comes from the dew. But when the sun comes up and when persecution comes, Jesus likens it to, um, when struggle hits, it does not have a root deep enough to hold it upright. All right? If something doesn't have enough to hold it securely to the ground, what happens is the top just falls right over. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is, um, th this is an example where there's initial growth, uh, but there's not, enough for, there's not enough soil here to really, for this root to grow down deep. There, there's nothing to support the spiritual life when things get tough, when pressure and persecution, because of God's teaching, you know, so someone, so, someone responds to God's teaching, but, but they receive pressure. From family, 
from friends. They receive per- persecution because of um, someone or something in their life because of God's word. They don't have enough root to really strengthen them during those difficult times. And immediately they stumble. That's the second area of growth within Jesus' parable. The third area of growth has to do with thorns. Now, when you're going to go and you are going to prep um, some, some soil uh, for planting, you gardeners, you farmers know this, you want to try to get all the rocks out as much as you can, you want to try to get all the thorns out, uh, you, you want to prep, prepare your soil in such a way that it's going to yield some good growth. And so thorns are one of those things that can quickly grow and they can quickly flourish, uh, especially in this region of the world. And so you, you, would have, um, you would have this sometimes, and sometimes the thorns can be a, a positive in the sense of um, they would use like thorn um, roots to help secure a, a part of farming on a hillside. It just kind of gives some support. It's not there for, really for growth. But Jesus is saying is that there's thorns that occur in your life. There are things that, as he describes it, um, it's when one hears the word, but there's worries of this age. There's a seduction of wealth, and it chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful because all the things that have grown around the teaching of the word and the seed that God has planted begin to choke it out. They become, they become bigger and more important, and, and when they're left unchecked, they just grow and grow and grow. Um, cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and and all these things can overpower good growth for a seed. Thorns are those things ultimately that take a greater place than God's kingdom in our life. All right, they're things that become a whole lot more important than the seed that God wants to grow. Um, in Matthew six, Jesus goes through all this teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he actually talks about um, don't have you know, worries and cares of this world. He says, look at the, the, the fields and look at the birds. Look at how I care for them. You know, they, they don't work and they don't toil and they don't labor and they don't spin. And yet I give them everything they need. And he says, you have a whole lot of distractions and you have a whole lot of things that can take your mind and your heart away from what God wants to grow in you. He says, seek first my kingdom in my righteousness. Because if you seek after all these things of the world, man, they're going to be like thorns and they're going to just overcrowd and, and, and quench the work of God in your life. And so priority is very important to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he says, I will give you everything else. You, you will have sufficient supply when you seek first my kingdom. And thorns are one of those things that can really um, stifle spiritual growth. And so Jesus hears hear this. They hear, ooh, okay, we've got the hard ground. We've got the ground that has the bedrock layer, which doesn't really work. We've got these thorns that can quickly overtake a plant that's growing. And Jesus describes a fourth environment. The fourth environment is this. It's, it's the good ground. He says it this way in verse 23. He says, But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does bear fruit and yields, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what it was sown. 
So the, the, the good ground is the person who hears and who understands. Now, the idea of hear here is, <laughs> it's funny, I don't know why. Uh, the idea of the word hear, hear, I had to say it again, um, is one who hears and does. They, they, they take God's word and they say, all right, Jesus, you, you said it, I will do it. God, you, you, you've commanded, I, I, I will follow, I will obey. They're people who put into practice what God has taught. They're people who don't just have ears to hear, they have hearts to set upon, yes, God, I will do this. And it's not out of, um, it's not out of a duty or it's not out of a, I'm doing this in order to make myself right with God. It's, it's because I'm walking with God that I want to bring honor and to bring glory. And, and I want to give of myself to these things because God's word is something that is rich and it doesn't return empty in our lives. Jesus says, this good ground is the person who hear, hears and who understands. And when you hear and when you understand and when you do what I have said, he says, there is this harvest that just booms in your life. Now, to have a hundredfold crop yield at this time is just mind-blowing. Um, it would typically be you might get a five or a 10 or 15 times of what you planted. Uh, and, and here's a view of the northern part of the Galilee region. This is taken, I, I think, from a place called Mount Arbel. Um, looking kind of north and kind of east, all this area is farmland. It's all by the sea. And you can just look out and you can see all these different plots and fields. He's talking to people who've spent their life doing this. And they know the picture. They're like, yeah, I, if I have seed that falls on the, on the path, that's not going to do me any good. If I have seed that falls in this dirt, but there's rock underneath, that's not going to grow me anything. If I have seed that's, that's sown and, and, and it touches the thorny areas and I don't deal with the thorns, they're just going to come up and choke it. But if I have seed that is sown well, that's how, that, that's the right environment for there to be a yield. Now, even with that, they're dependent upon God for rain and they're dependent upon God for sun and all these kind of things. But if you don't have good soil, don't expect to grow a good crop. Jesus says, you want to have good ground? You, you want to have a yield that goes even a hundred times as much? It, have good ground. It, it's interesting. There, there's a couple of places around the Galilee region that are known for just incredible yields. One of them's on the south side, and uh, a non-biblical source says that during around the time of the first century, this particular area of growing region um, actually gave a hundred times yield. So for every one seed, you got a hundred in your harvest. For every ten seeds, you got more. <laughs> For every 1,000 seeds, you got a lot more. <laughs> I'm letting you math people do the math yourselves. <laughs> um, never been my subject. Um, so it's just incredible to think of Jesus as using a picture that his hearers would have understood. A as they gather around, he's like, hmm, let me talk about it. And the cave of the sower is within visible shot of this. Like you can see it from this photo. It's just kind of way up. He's using the, the area around to describe 
you want to have ears to hear, do what I say. Have a heart that's ready, not just to, not, not just to do, but, but, but to enjoy and to engage in relationship. See, the difference between all of these examples and these soil types is that a heart that is ready to hear and to receive what God desires to give is one who's going to yield a good fruit. It's going to yield a good harvest. A, a, a heart in a life that follows Jesus means that it's not choked out and it's not consumed by the cares of the world. How many of you have ever allowed cares of the world to consume you? <laughs> Welcome back to 2020, right? It's really easy to allow the cares and the worries of this world to become all-consuming for our lives. It's really easy sometimes, too, to, 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 have, to, to have a heart in a mindset that just kind of is hardened to the things of God, who, who when you hear, you're like, nope, don't want to do that. And there's this apathy that can kind of come over us. Jesus is teaching this. He's using these pictures, and he says, hey, you want to enjoy the life, and you want to have a yield, a spiritual yield to your life? Have good ground. Have good soil. Ask God for help to take care of the rocks and the thorns and all these things that we can find so easily in our lives because everyone who is hearing Jesus has one of these kind of soils. And every one of us here has one of these soils today too. Some of us, our, our, our hearts are more hardened towards the things of God. Some of us, our, our, our hearts have this little bit of you know, soil, but there's not a ton of root. Some of us have cares and worries that choke out the word. I just ask you, what kind of soil are you? What, what kind of soil has been cultivated in your life? What I love is that the parable does not say, oh man, you shouldn't plant the seed over here, and you shouldn't plant the seed over here, and you shouldn't plant the seed over here. The parable is just straightforward. A sower goes out and he sows some seed, and it falls in four different places. Part of our calling as followers of Jesus is to sow the seed of the word of God. It, it's, it's to share the message of Jesus. And sometimes when we do that, guess what? It's going to fall on one of these types of soils. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to be a soil that just, oh, just eats it up because it's ready to hear and to respond. Sometimes it's going to be a soil where, where there's some weeds that need to be addressed for there to be real growth. So, sometimes it's going to be a soil where it's just going to be hard. It's just going to be hard. But what I love is that even in this parable... There's certain things that we can do as people to prepare soil, but it's only God who can produce a harvest. You may have someone in your life who is far from the Lord, far from God in many ways. What do we do? We pray. We pray. We, we, we can't change someone else's soil. We, we can maybe re reflect and give them some thoughts and engage them in meaningful conversation and show them love, and maybe over time that soil begins to soften. But ultimately, what's going to turn a heart from cold is going to have to be a work of God in their life. It's, it's got to be a work of God in their life. 
and their partnership with God. There's, there's going to be people in our lives, maybe it's us, who, who aren't going to have roots of faith dug down deep. If that's you this morning, and, and your root's not deep in faith, let, let me just encourage you. Open God's word and start hearing and doing. Jesus gives us the key to cultivating good soil in this, in this parable. The good soil is the person who hears and who does, which sometimes is a real struggle because sometimes we don't understand, God, why did you say that? God, why would I do that? Sometimes the why questions are not the questions we should be asking. Sometimes it's, okay, God, give me the strength to do what you have called me to, even when I don't understand there, um, I'm trying to remember how the scripture goes. There, there is a way that seems right to a man. Happens in the scripture. In the book of Judges, uh, one of the main themes of this book of really darkness is that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. To, to have the eyes of God means to allow God's word and allow God's way to be that which drives us and moves us and calls us into a different kind of living. What kind of soil are you here today? Producing a harvest involves becoming a disciple of Jesus. I remind you, a disciple is one who has an active rule of God in their life, who repents of their sin and trusts Jesus. Active rule of God in your life, which means today, which means tomorrow which means the next day. Active rule of God in our life, who repents of sin. I don't know about you, there are many days I have to repent many times. <laughs> who repents of their sin and lives in this constant state of, God, where have I gone wrong? God, show me what is right. Forgive me for my sin. Active rule of God in your life, who repents of sin and who trusts Jesus. In other words, someone who takes God at his word and says, God, I will hear, I will obey. What kind of soil do you have this morning? Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, apart from me, we can do nothing. And God, I, I confess my own selfishness and my own self-centeredness and my own desire to have my own way and to pursue the things that I think are right in my life. And God, forgive me, forgive us of seeking those things rather than seeking your heart. God, I, I pray for the hearts of my brothers and sisters, people gathered listening to this teaching right now. And, and God, their hearts might be in a whole bunch of different places. Lord, for, for those whose hearts are hardened, God, I pray that you, in your grace, would reveal yourself to them that they might experience just an incredible outpouring of your mercy and your love. That they would know that they are dearly loved by you and God, that you long to be in relationship with them. And wherever their lives are at right now, they can have hope because of Jesus. God, for those whose roots are not deeply ground, God, give them the grace this week to open the scripture. Allow them 
Give them strength to build these spiritual disciplines in their life whereby their roots grow deep and strong in your word, where where their hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, where God's word is sufficient for them in their day today. God, I pray for those whose lives are choked out by the worries and the cares of this world. Those worries may have to do with money or food. Those worries might have to do with the next job promotion or where they're going to go to school. Those worries, God, might be sins and struggles in their lives, unforgiveness, drug issues, whatever they are, God. Reveal these things to them and give them the grace and the power to do some serious weed pulling with your help. God, bring people alongside them to reveal truth to them so that they may not be overcome by the worries and the cares, the fears and the anxieties of this world, but rather, God, they would learn to, to live by, by what you teach when you say in the scripture that every word that comes from the mouth of God is sufficient for us. God, for those um, who have good soil, who are engaging in discipleship, the active rule of God, repenting of their sin and trusting Jesus, God, continue to give them great grace for the days and the weeks ahead. Lord, you remind us that um, the adversary, the evil one, comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but you have come to give us life. And so, God, I pray that we would stand in the truth of your word. I pray that you would guard and protect our lives and our families from the evil one, that you would lead us into all truth for your name's sake. God, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for showing us a picture of the kingdom and what it means for you to actively rule in our life. We commit our lives again to you today for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So next week, we're going to jump into the rest of this chapter. Um, The other ones will go a lot quicker than the first one they're not as long. But I want to give you these pictures of what is the kingdom and why does it matter for us according to Jesus' teaching. So um, would you stand with me and we will close. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you today that you might hear with your ears and see with your eyes and understand with your hearts to know and to follow and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And to love your neighbor as yourself through the power of Christ in you. Blessings to you today. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.